welcome to episode 252 of the Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Thursday edition, and I am Paul Spohr, joined by a special guest on Thursday here, uh, Mr. Todd Zola. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm either sleeper or the bust in this scenario, or uh, has that question been asked so many times? No, no. Was... You're definitely the sleeper here. Come on. I'm a, okay. I'm a known commodity. I'm a bust. They got no idea right. what's going on with you. You're coming up uh, to them. These folks should know who you are, though. You're right. In ESPN, Masters Ball, Fantasy Alarm. You're crushing it out there on Twitter, at Todd Zola. That's T-O-D-Z-O-L-A, all one word there. Uh, definitely need to follow him there. In fact, you just did all of your top 10 uh, rankings uh, that you compared it against your preseason ones and for the rest of the season. So people can get those for free right there on Twitter. Uh, if they just want some lists, get some ideas of, of, of players you like for the next uh, upcoming half here. we got a lot of topics to talk about. We're kind of doing a smorgasbord here of different topics, covering some news, uh, and then just really diving into maybe some strategy for the second half. The news out front, Todd, is that uh, kind of an expected move, but it's been finalized. Miguel Montero is going to hit the disabled list, and Kyle Schwarber is going to come up, and that's where everyone's really excited. Montero, yeah, he, he he did some stuff earlier in the year. Losing him isn't great, but the real ticket here is that Schwarber's coming back up. He had that mini debut, and it was really impressive. He's been raking at every stop. But now that Kyle Schwarber's going to come up and be not necessarily the full-time catcher. In fact, I believe they're going to carry three catchers so they can kind of really limit him back there and, and not kind of overexpose him with carrying uh, the staff and all that. What are your realistic expectations for Kyle Schwarber as a hitter the rest of the way? Well, the, it, the, the, as a hitter, it's great. The problem is how many times is he actually going to get to hit mm-hmm. because he has to catch now because there's no longer a whole bevy of interleague games. You have to keep in mind that he came up to DH for that stretch. Exactly. Now we know Ross is catching for Lester, so that takes that one out of the way. And, you know, how much is he going to catch in the other four game, You know, four times through the rotation? If he gets two games and you got to figure T Garden comes in for defense if they're if they're winning at the end, you, we'll probably see you know ten twelve plate appearances a week and that's that's enough to definitely help teams in NL only. Well, that goes without saying, but that could be enough in mixed leagues with two catchers to make no. Schwarber uh, viable. Do you think on some of those off days that he might be finding his way into the outfield? I'd heard that that was something that maybe that they could do. I'm trying to think of how that would break down. Then you got Fowler and Coglin and DeNorfia. I think Coglin particularly is doing all right. DeNorfia is whatever. Those aren't guys that you have to keep in there. Actually, that doesn't have Soler on. I'm looking at the the outdated uh, uh, depth chart here. So Soler is going to take one of those spots. I guess there might be some space in left field, but I don't know. You know, he's played 36 games, has Schwarber in left field, but that was last year. This year, it's only been catcher and DH. Is there any chance that you think think he could sneak out into the outfield there with Joe Madden? You know, if uh, if I'm Jake Arrieta, I put a bug in his ear and I say, no, <laughs> I want my I want my real guy out there. Exactly. I, there's a possibility, I suppose. I think he's more likely to pinch hit and That's get getting it getting it bat that way, uh, which which gives him another couple plate appearances a week. The uh, the staff. Chicago's kind of mixed between ground ball, fly ball, pitchers with Hendricks and Ariette. I think you want a defense with that staff because they should be able to gen- either you know they, they either strike out every time up or hit a home run, mm-hmm. so they should be able to generate some offense. And again, you know, they do have enough with the with the left field situation opportunities to pinch hit. And heck, you could even pinch hit for the catcher and put the other one in exactly if Carrying you wanted to. Yep. So there's 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 at bats there for him. 
uh, which you know I think you're going to get double digits every week, and uh, it should be. You know, and then who knows though? I mean, if he catch it, weirder things have happened than guys that can't catch figure out how to catch. So we'll we'll see. This team's going to go for it, and I think a lot of it will depend on. We're going to find out soon if they get another pitcher or not. Uh, before the deadline may give us a little more of a hint as to the team's expectations. So that's going to be a very interesting team, the Cubs. They're a year early. You know, Theo, I think, was planning for next year. So let's, it's going to be very interesting to see if he just says, you know what, not going to panic, not so much panic, but not going to do anything out of the plan. Or if he says, you know what, I got a shot this year, I'm going to go for it. I agree with you that they're a year ahead of time with the Cubs. So are the Astros. So both those teams are probably a year ahead of schedule and, and playing really well right now. Mention the Astros. Actually, they just fell to uh, second place in, after leading that AL West for so long. Uh, right at the last day, they fell a half game behind the Angels. And that's that's what I really want to talk about here is the Angels. Because uh, Jared Weaver's you know slated to return relatively soon here. And that's going to create a bit of a logjam for the Angels. And, and they're going to have to make a decision to kick somebody out. And right now, everyone's putting Shoemaker up there. He's relieved in the past. You know, he hasn't been great this year. First off, let me ask. When, when Weaver comes back, they'll have Weaver, Matt Shoemaker, C.J. Wilson, Garrett Richards, Hector Santiago, and Andrew Heaney. That's where they got the six. So who are you kicking out of there? Are you, are you agreeing with the Shoemaker folks? Or are you, you pulling someone else out? Man, that's tough. I mean, I'm, I've, I've actually been a Santiago fan in that I, you know, looking at the peripherals, always thought he could do what he's doing. I think other people might expect him to fall. I'm not sure I expect a big fall out of Santiago. I think we may see Shoemaker originally, uh, initially anyway. And I think I, I have to look up Heaney's innings. I think he's pretty much pitching regularly in the minors. Maybe they curtail him towards the end and bring Shoemaker back into the rotation towards the end of the season. But these things always seem to take care of themselves, as we know. Mm-hmm. But I think if I own Matt, well, if I own Matt Shoemaker right now, I'm probably not all that happy anyway. <laughs> no. But I, I, so it's not a huge deal. But yeah, I think Shoemaker's is probably going to be the spot initially. And then either it flushes out by itself or it wouldn't shock me if Heaney's innings are uh, curtailed a bit in September and just you bring Matt Shoemaker back up to close, hopefully close out the season strong. So you you already touched on on two guys I was going to ask you about there Hector Santiago and Andrew Heaney Santiago you're saying you think that he can kind of continue to be successful maybe not at a level of a two three three ERA we we rarely project that project that for anybody except the super elite so uh, definitely understand if you're not keeping it with that kind of ERA uh, Heaney as well do you see some that he can have some continued success for the time that he's in there um, right now again 132 ERA for four starts we're not projecting him for anything like that I'm sure you're not either but do you think it continue to be successful and maybe be in the the mid threes for Andrew Heaney or are you seeing something higher out of uh, this one-time blue chip prospect like them both because of the park too the uh, Angels Park Angel Stadium is a great place to pitch Santiago when he was with the White Sox it was always the K potential and a little bit of wild Uh, once he got into a the bigger park in LA I had a pretty decent expectations for him last year mm-hmm. and it just didn't it didn't come through uh it wasn't horrible but it wasn't quite quite the guy i expected either the uh the strikeout rate fell more than i expected for whatever reason it's back up a little bit this year the walks are down um you know, he's basically a little bit above average on both so he's basically a league average pitcher and I expect him to stay that way you know i'm nervous of him with him when he's on the road because he's still a fly ball pitcher 
and there's some certain parks in Amer- especially American League you don't necessarily want him going in, which is why I was glad to see him out of Chicago. But I'll be happy to use Santiago floating him in uh, when he's at home for the rest of the season, at, you know, in Angel Stadium. Heaney uh, is tough. Rookies are just doing so well this year. There's a a study out. It's not just your imagination. There's uh, some work out at a site called Fantasy Labs. Uh, it's dedicated to DFS, but it, it's some interesting material. Just you know, transcends DFS and how rookie pitchers are just killing it this year. It's been crazy. And there's a lot of narratives as to why you know they haven't seen the haven't seen the, the hitters haven't seen them and this and that. But it's it's the case, you know, throughout history and that 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 it hasn't ever been quite the extreme as it is this year. So, yeah, uh, I like I've had I put Heaney in a lot of. Uh, reserve list mainly because I do like streaming pitchers at Angel Stadium. I thought their offense would be better yeah. than it turned out to be, and there's still some potential there. But uh, I, I guess you know somewhat biased because I'm hoping he does well because I have him on a couple of important teams. But I think I think he can be a mid three ERAs guy going forward, especially if you just manage him correctly. At least for your team, he could be a mid three or three ERAs guy if you're able to you know use him at home. That's a good call, by the way. If you know when we, if you put a number on a guy, you can manage a guy to a certain number as well too. If you're kind of picking his spots, um, like a Santiago, like a, a, a Heaney. Of course, you're not throwing those guys in in Coors things like that. In fact, you mentioned interleague, pretty much done. Or I, I believe now at this point, uh, so you don't have to worry about that with these AL guys at all. Actually, no, interleague has to run all year long. I forgot, uh, right? But because of the way they do, it, but not the huge blocks of it right, anymore. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah. I was with you on Santiago last year. I, I was like, this guy could be something. He's out of that park. He failed me a little bit, and, and, I, and I backed off. So, of course, this year I didn't have him anywhere when he's been awesome. So that, that's annoying. But at the same time, I do recognize that Santiago has some skills. So I, I basically agree with you on both guys. He needs somebody I do like, and I would take the gamble on that, that maybe we're seeing it click a little bit sooner than maybe folks thought after last year's little debut. But – just like last year, I would have said, don't go crazy over a 583 ERA in 29 innings thinking that Heaney sucks. You also can't go crazy over a 132 in 27 innings thinking that he's an ace. And the fact is, he's probably somewhere right in between, and you smash those two numbers together, and he's, he's a 365 over his 57 career innings. And that's probably the best that you can expect the rest of the way is something like that for Heaney. Right. The other thing to keep in mind, and I know that you and you know, and, and, and Jason are, are, are ground ball you like ground ball pitchers, and yes. rightfully so. But the uh, the corollary to that is, if you're a fly ball pitcher in a big park and don't walk guys, you're pretty good. Mm-hmm. And that's what they both are. Santiago and Heaney both are fly ball pitchers. They got Mike Trout chasing some fly balls down. This is more, you know, to credit where credit is due. Gene McCaffrey is the guy that you know we both know. Gene, wise guy. Gene is the kind that kind of hammers on this. I'm not going to say that ground, throwing ground balls isn't a skill. But sometimes people hear it's a skill and they mistake the fact that therefore throwing fly balls is not as you know is bad. That's a great point. It's not bad if you're in a big park and don't walk people, and that's what they both can do. And they're going to get lit because on occasion you know they are the they they're hittable. And the ball will leave but, the yard when you're a fly ball right. guy. And, and it, the other thing about fly balls is the BABIP of a fly ball pitcher is lower mm-hmm. in theory anyway. On paper, because the fly balls that don't leave the yard get caught more than the ground balls that don't get fielded, or you know, a fly ball pitcher generally has a lower whip, uh, higher ERA because of the home runs. So if you control the home runs, and that's what that's what that's what streaming in Angel Stadium does, 
they both can be effective. Well, and you know, the guy that spurred this whole conversation here, Jared Weaver, was the embodiment of everything that you're saying here for years when he was good. He was a heavy fly ball guy who had great success in that park. Now he's gotten a little bit older. The velocity has gotten a little bit lower, so he's become a little bit more hittable, yet we still see those bursts of, of really high quality from Jared Weaver. Uh, it's just that the downs are, are, are really low now, and we're saying that with Heaney and Santiago, yeah, there's going to be some downs. They just won't be as catastrophic as they are these days with Weaver. I want to move on to a piece that uh, you recently wrote for the Fantasy Alarm called uh, – it was a great title. It was the whole stretching out of saying I was – I was – I was I was wrong. And, and you covered some guys that you were wrong about, at least so far, of course, by the way. Don't bury yourself because I think a couple of these guys on your list could totally turn it around and, and you could write a piece uh, in October saying I wasn't wrong. I should have never written that piece. Let's talk about the first guy. And actually, we're going angels heavy here by, by accident because he happens to be the first guy. It's Cole Calhoun. Now, this was – I basically associated you, Todd, in my head from listening to podcasts and serious stuff with two, two guys this year. Uh, Anthony Rizzo and Cole Calhoun. I hear their names. I thought Todd Zola. Just for whatever reason, that association came up. Anthony Rizzo, major hats off, by the way. He's crushing. I'm not even going to say that you should be getting killed on Cole Calhoun, but obviously he has performed lower than what you expected and what most of us expected after his first, you know, 180 odd games that showed some pretty uh, high quality talent. Where are you with Cole Calhoun and what do you think maybe that you did get wrong in your analysis that uh, maybe came up short? Well, Cole Calhoun, the end of the day, he's doing what he's done in previous seasons with just less power, but it's not egregiously so. It's just you know, there's a, a span, there's a range of power. He just happens to be in the lower end of his expected power this year. I doesn't, I wasn't even expecting him to have a spike. My, my real projection with, you know, my real thought with Calhoun was going to be hitting leadoff in front of uh, Trout and Pujols and the whatnot at the time, Josh Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And I expected, you know, 155 games in a great offense and lead the league in runs. Uh, where I was different than most people wasn't percentage-wise, decimals. It was more I just had a lot more playing time for Calhoun, and I may have bumped up my runs expectation a bit, expecting more out of the Angels than they seems to have produced, which is odd because Pujols and Trout have hit more home runs as, as a pair than any other been pair amazing. of players in any other team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's just it's just baseball. It's just what that's it's weird, but. So with with Calhoun, what I in in what I decided not so much decided, taking a look at the numbers, I don't think I was wrong with the expectations. I may have been aggressive with playing time, but if you prorate to what he's done, I'm only about twenty plate appearances greater than what he what he what he is is on pace to do. Now he can get hurt and therefore or you know get sent down to sixth or seventh on the order, and it could be fifty by the end of the season. True, but even that isn't huge. What I didn't look at, and you know, these are the numbers you guys like to look at too, with the power, it's it was he was sort of on the upper edge of his potential power because his his fly ball rate isn't it just isn't that high, mm-hmm. it's in the low 30s, and his home run per fly ball it's okay, it's 13 or 14 percent at least going into the season. But we just talked about Angel Stadium and how it squashes offense, it squashes power, so I I should have been more aware of the possibility that he didn't make the power projection or didn't even continue to hit on the same power, you know, line that he's been hitting in previous seasons. 
Uh, I'm not. I maybe I, I find drafting Cole Calhoun, but like you said, I was all in. I mean, and, and I'm not one of those guys that needs to make a name for himself. It just I happen to like him and get him in good spots and pretty much got him everywhere. Although I wasn't able to get him an NL tout, I was told that he was illegal, uh, which kind of bummed <laughs> me a little bit. You did try twice, though. I and did, it was, yeah. The second time was particularly weird, I thought, for everybody in the room. They handled it well, but the second time you really went for it with like a $13 bid, you only had $6 left. So the whole thing was weird, Todd. I got I to gotta tell you. And I, I actually bid for him in mixed tout, and I'm not even in the league. <laughs> so that, that Now was you're a little... sending in proxy bids. But yeah, here's then, the thing. And then Fred Zinke wanted to trade for him, and I didn't even you know. So that was what was really weird. Well, that's true. Fred Zinke would definitely want to trade for him. Whether Fred Zinke's in the league or the players on your team, it doesn't matter. Um, do you see potential for a rebound here, though? Because I don't – like you said, you're not even that far off with, with kind of what you thought Cole, Cole Calhoun could do. He still has, does have 10 homers. I think the number where he's really lagging that, that uh, those of us who were interested in him, even if it wasn't at the same height as you, uh, is probably the run scored with only 37. You kind of hit on that even though Trout and Pujols are dominating. The rest of that lineup has been so bad um, outside of you know Calhoun himself. You can only drive yourself in so many times, 10, 10 in his case. But uh, is how much logistical leaps do you, do you feel you need to make to get to where you are for Calhoun? Or you just feel like one hot streak and then kind of what else, what he did in the first half for the rest of it would work? He's just at the lower end of his expected production across the board. He's, he's striking a little bit more. Two percent more, but that's within the range. If you're a, sure. if you strike out twenty percent of the time, you're not shocked if you strike out eighteen or twenty-two. It's just within the range. So he just happens to be at the lower end of all his, you know, poly, you know, it's a the fifty percent projectile. He's just at the twenty percent percentile of his performance. Uh, he just just being the regular guy that he is, he he could come right up and and do better than he's been doing or, or do what I expected him to do. Um, I'm not concerned. I'm not changing my ways because of it. Other than, like I said, the only thing that I'm probably going to do is when I draft, I should have recognized that he's not the kind of guy you want on every single team. It's not a problem having him on teams because I, I liked him, mm-hmm. but he did not fit the profile of someone who was worth it was too much downside to have him on every single one of my ro- – well, I'm exaggerating a bit here because by the end of the season, people know I liked him, and I don't even think I have him on my NFBC main event team, which which was kind of ironic. That is, that but, is um, interesting. I need I to check that before I say that because that team's doing really well. But um, I need to check that. But the point being, uh, I, I should have been more aware of the downside in the power and not counted even on it maintaining now that's not a projection thing because the projection is a projection but you know we know that projections are more than that you need to talk about the profile and if you're in the business that i'm in make sure people understand that it's more than just numbers and what's behind the numbers and i think that's where i fell short where i were wrong on cal calhoun was not being aware of the potential downside and i think that's something that uh Everybody struggles with whether you're you're writing about the game in the industry itself or just playing. It's just you think about a guy, you see the profile, you see the positive, and you, you don't really fully understand what the downside could be because, again, this downside isn't even that bad. But if he, if he follows it through for the year, it's going to look like a blah season because, like you said, if he's on the 20th percentile of stuff – 
it's it was within his skills it's just you, we we don't think about it sometimes and i i'm guilty of it too this next guy we're going to talk about is somebody i was very much and actually remain very much in on i'm i'm going out and trying to buy still because i think that he can get get uh get good and that's brandon moss and and your big reason the big thing that you focused on was also something that i was very in on here so we were simpatico with brandon moss moving from uh power le- or lefty de- power hitting depressing Oakland to lefty power hitting, improving Cleveland. And Cleveland's never thought of as a hitter's park, but that is one thing that it does uh, kind of sneakily is it, is it improves uh, lefty power. So I was in there too. In fact, I, you know, there was a lot of commotion about Cleveland coming into the year. People were picking them for their World Series. I picked them to win the division. Um, so, you know, I think he got in, uh, Brandon Moss kind of got swept up in that. And again, he has not been terrible. The, the, what he's doing, 14 homers, 220 average, uh, this is within the projection. You bought this uh, as a potential here because he's, it's just not that far from what he can be. So, it, again, it's another guy who's kind of on the cusp. What have you learned from the first half of Brandon Moss, and how are you treating it going forward? Well, I actually do have Cole Calhoun on my NFBC main event team. But anyway, I also have Brandon <laughs> Moss. <laughs> um, and you're still doing well. Well, actually, I left that not that I left that draft, and what I said was, if I if this team does not do well, it, I have no excuses. I got everybody who I wanted to get, and and uh, including Brandon Moss, and including a couple other guys. We'll talk about in a second. But anyway, the thing with Moss, and we talk about the park effects, and and park factors are. I'm going to be writing about these uh, soon again on Fantasy Alarm. The um, they're one of those. They're one of the weird things in that they're not perfect at all. Matter of fact, there's a whole lot wrong with them. But yet, it's still better to use them than not use them, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird. In a, in a especially you know the numbers guys that we are that you know we like to have reason, tangible evidence for doing this and doing that. It's just a weird sort of conundrum in that uh, I can tell you so much wrong with them, but yet I'm going to use them because it's better to use them than avoid them. And the thing with Moss in a vacuum, yeah, he should have hit 20% more home runs per plate appearance in Cleveland than he did in Oakland. But if you look at his splits, they're just goofy and i missed the splits and this is what i did wrong is i completely missed his just bizarre splits and he's at that cusp of the number of plate appearances where the splits are real mm-hmm. uh actually the works on fan graphs that that, that in, in in the book uh where it it explains where it's better to go by global expectations than the individual players splits expectations until a certain amount of plate appearances and he's he's kind of at that cusp yeah where he owns them and there is some a lot of reverse splits both home and away Mm -hmm. and lefty righty so i'm just i'm not sure that the park would apply i mean i don't know if he i need to check his hit charts does he you know does he go the other way is that why they're the reverse splits so there's a lot of information out there as you know now where we could take the time to really, really look, and this is what your your buddy Colette does better than anybody, is is hammer away at an individual player. Oh yeah. Figure out you know what's what's uh he may not be able to predict what he's going to do, but he sure as heck can figure out what he did. And he'll tell uh, you, yeah, you can figure out what's going wrong with somebody too. In season analysis, Jason will figure out the problem. You know, pitchers are beating him here with these pitches, and then you'll go look and you're like. By golly, that's 100% correct. Right. Now is the player going to fix it? Um, yeah, that's the quest. You know, he's, you know that, that's the next step. So Jason's going to get a crystal ball, and, and, and everything will be great. But the point being, um, I, the thing with my I, – I, I, too, expect Moss. The, the batting average is – again, the power fluctuates. I expected a little bit better batting average than uh, 
than what he's showing so far. But anybody whose contact rate is as, is as low as it is, as we know, there's there's some fluctuation there with batting average. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm more disappointed in that he's hitting 20, 25, 30 points lower than I sort of hoped. The other hand, he's playing against a lot more righties, uh, a lot more lefties. But his splits say he should be doing better against lefties. So again, he, it's just he's just a weird, a weird player to look at. But at the end of the day, I do agree that we should see a slightly better rest of the season post All Star break numbers, especially in the batting average department from Moss. And if he continues to hit against righties, and he does in fact hit well against them, I think that's a great thing. Now for DFS, I'm no longer as inclined to include him in my in my Brantley and Murphy and Kipnis stack as I mm-hmm. might have been before. Uh, I need to, that's what I really need to investigate. Cause I think you just, sometimes you just get too blinded by the L next to his name and Agreed. all right, throw him in there. Yeah. Uh, I've used him against righties countless times. And, and for those that don't, uh, aren't following Moss this year, he's batting 190 with a 662 OPS against righties. He's got 10, 10 of those 14 bombs, but in those 211 plate appearances, that's, that's not, that's not good work. And like you said, that continues a trend from last year and home and away. It's been the same kind of thing. 600 OPS, a 193 average at home, 835 and 245 on the road. That continues a trend from last year. And I'm sure we both saw, oh, he was poor at home playing for Oakland going into this park that should at least, uh, not hurt him. If it doesn't help him, because actually their park factors now I'm looking, they're starting to come down, uh, these home run park factors, if, if, cause it's always three year rolling data. Um, they're coming down, but at, at the very worst going from Oakland to Cleveland was going to be neutral for him. It was going to leave him at neutral. It wasn't going to actively depress him, but, uh, it seems to be because whatever home cooking, he doesn't like it. He hears that a restaurant has home cooking. He goes out the other way. Cannot stand it. We have three prospects we got to talk about here that, that were on your list as well. They're Ruzny Castillo, Dalton Pompey, Jose Peraza. First off, the I want to go in reverse order because I really think that uh, Peraza, that, that's probably the third guy that I would associate you with uh, this season because you, you, you put him on my radar. I did not know this guy uh, from Job as a prospect, just not somebody that I knew. Went and investigated him. Didn't get him anywhere, which obviously turned out to be all right for the first half. But now I'm starting to see if I want to eyeball him as a reserve in some deeper leagues because then he can come up and pan out on that speed projection that you thought he might be able to do. What happened with Peraza outside of Jace? I mean, I guess most of it's really just Jace Peterson. Uh, not that Peraza's killing it in AAA, but Jace Peterson being capable right out of the gate really hurt Peraza. But let's start with Peraza. Um, and first off, what did you see? What do we got going? And can it change in the future? Can he get called up and be a speed demon for us in the second half? Yeah, a lot of uh, success in fantasy nowadays is – it's kind of a bummer to me, but it is what it is. And that you have to make decisions hoping they come out okay, mm-hmm. as opposed to the numbers say that they will come out okay. Thinking they will. I heard you saying this. Sorry to cut you off, but I heard you making yeah. this point the other day, and I was nodding my head so hard I thought I was going to pop right off. I, I couldn't agree more. You can't wait anymore. I used to preach waiting. You know, you got to wait a few starts. You can't. You got to see one start, and you got to decide if you want Eduardo Rodriguez and hope that it works. Continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's just thing. You know, it goes against our analytical nature. But if you want to be successful, especially in either DFS or the high stakes, you have to do it. And it is what it is. You have to accept it. So I looked for players that the first the first filter was that I thought would be playing early on. And all indications were that Atlanta was going to 
promote Peraza sometime in May or June, and you know the speed profile works and all you know that that sort of thing. Playing a great position at second base, and he's a guy that you can put on a reserve list or you can draft him in the 19th or 20th round, and then in the 23rd or fourth round pick up DJ LeMahieu. If you did that, you did really well. Um, that sort of thing, and. So the, the, the cost of acquisition of, 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 of Peraza, to me anyway, was cheap. So that's why I've got him on a reserve list, and I think all of my draft and hold leads have got Peraza on there as well. It was more, you know, speed is such a, you know, a valuable entity. Now, the key when you're doing something like this is don't factor Peraza's speed in. Uh, it's a bonus, especially in a, in a trading league because it's so hard to build up a surplus in a category, so I, I got Peraza on my reserve in, in NL Tout Wars, and the idea being if he got accelerated and became in the, you know, got in the, you know, May or June, I'd have an excess of speed to be able to deal from. Uh, hasn't manifested yet, but there's still some time. So that that's the key there. But yeah, the, the thing with Peraza is more of a, I didn't have such a great feel how great he was going to do, but it was the opportunity that he could do well at a position such as second base, offering a category such as stolen bases that made, I thought, was a pretty decent uh, dart throw back in March. Agreed. And, and and sometimes they just don't work out. Good process, bad outcome, I think, on this one. Because, again, if, if I didn't know Jose Peraza, then Jace Peterson wasn't even uh, an actual thing. I mean, when he got traded over as, as in one of those deals, I think it was the Upton deals, uh, he was a right. throw-in. And, you know, he got off to a good start and he kind of held it. And now he's pretty well below average and so i think it's going to reopen the door for peraza in the second half if they want to give him a look and so i think that's somebody who could be a bit of a speed demon let's talk about dalton pompey for the toronto blue jays because he got off to a, a decent start i think a fast start maybe you know just 10 12 games or whatever it wasn't even that long because 23 games into the season he was already down so i think it was just a couple hot games early that got him on the radar and had people talking about him and then all of a sudden no he was down so it was either multi-hit game or 0 for 4 with four strikeouts for about the first two weeks with with pompey by that point he's got a 601 ops a 193 average and the 22 year old had to be sent back down but i understand the intrigue kind of a power speed combo guy plus and this might where you're going to go with it if you recall seeing it but we saw him in arizona fall league do some things as well i don't know if that influenced you what happened with with pompey and 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 do you have hope for the future yeah now the fall league definitely influenced uh at least got him on the radar and again it was it was it was as much of a opportunity potential as it was thinking he was going to do well now the cost of pompey was a little bit greater than the cost of peraza so I'm not quite as invested. I, I did have the discipline where if I did, if I got him as my fifth outfielder or utility, that was great because I call that the fungible spot and you just mm-hmm. bring somebody else up. You know how things go, though. Uh, it, it wasn't just me because we said the fall league. There were a lot of people that were on Pompeii, and some people were taking him for their third or fourth outfielder in a mixed league. It was bananas. And fortunately, yeah, I had the discipline to back off of that. So, you know, again, the, whole, the, the idea of this column was where I was wrong and, you know, the, you know the, the outcome on all these players wasn't what I wanted. But as I said at the end, I'd make that decision. I'd make that same decision while well, we'll talk about Rosny in a minute where I was, did, did make a mistake. But uh, I'll t- 
we'll talk that I would do the same thing again next year. I think you have to be aggressive on these rookies that this year is, ex- is exceptional in that for sure there's, a, there's, a, there's some exceptional players, but they're also the exception being they're not going to be this many rookies every single year. No. But what has been shown is if a team has a rookie and they're probably – close enough to compete for the playoffs they're not gonna they're no longer gonna hesitate to bring them up at least this year that ha- the, the teams haven't shown whether or not teams follow suit going forward it could have just been these particular teams but the cubs with bryant and houston with korea the two best examples uh to a lesser extent cleveland with lindor have shown that they're they don't once they get past that initial couple week first cutoff for saving money if they don't get to the second one, the ARB two, so what? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, making the playoffs is more important. So I think we at least have to be aware of that going forward, that an isolated team may have a prospect and, and could be more likely to promote them early than in years past. So uh, I still need to be aggressive in thinking about these players, but you, have, you still need to show some discipline and you know, be smart about it. Don't take Dalton Pompey as your third outfielder, because that that's not as easily replaceable as when he's your fifth outfielder. No, and and you, you there there's just no justification for doing that. Even before hindsight, that was crazy. And I remember how hyped he was getting, and it was it was pretty bizarre. Let, let's let's shift into the seventy-two million dollar man then and, and finish up uh, with Rusny Castillo. Because, uh, again, another guy that I was in lockstep with you, somebody I was going for figuring the talent's going to play, the money, you know, they're paying him. Uh, Victorino doesn't scare me. You know, Betts, I I, I think, is going to hold that job and be great. Hanley, obviously, going to hold the spot, but that still leaves right field. I'm fine. I, I invested in him in a couple weeks. Obviously, it has not worked out because he got hurt first. Rusny Castillo got hurt. Then when he came up, he was terrible for 77 point appearances and got sent back down. It just hasn't worked with him, even though the biggest roadblocks seemed to play out in his favor. You know, everyone was worried about the playing time with him, uh, but then didn't Victorino get hurt pretty much right away? And so the path was cleared, but he wasn't healthy himself to take advantage. So what happened with Ruznik Castillo? And I know this one's a little bit close to your heart because you live out uh, in the Northeast. So you, you keep a close eye on the Red Sox there. So talk to us about Ruznik Castillo. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, part of it, I mean, was hoping he'd do well as, as much as anything else. He looked really good at the end of last season. I know, small sample size. Um, the whole Cuban players keeping pretty much what their expectations going are and, going and being able to live up to those expectations, with some exceptions, obviously. But they, uh, they're, they're able to keep their expectations a little bit more than some of the uh, – some of the Asian players were. So I had that in the back of my mind that I felt it was a good chance that he would be able to succeed in that manner. Uh, just pure numbers, throw away anything else, you know, put the blinders on to the fact that they're humans. Pure numbers, and my, my numbers had him with a Leonis Martin downside and a Starling Marte upside. Exactly. And, uh, and, and I just I, I had him top 50, and I had, a, I had to back off that top 50 um, originally, and that was easy to do by playing time. Uh, but I, I thought that the, the kid had some unique – well, he's not a kid, actually. He's 27. Had some unique power-speed combinations. And um, like you mentioned, the, to me, the, the biggest the, – the first injury in spring, whatever, but when he when he got hurt, 
when Victorino got hurt in April and he wasn't in the picture to come up in April and give it a shot. And eventually it was first Daniel Nava and then they, Brock Holt, basically. Brock Holt. Well, Brock Holt. I Man, I, I, Brock Holt's just, he's so fun. But I don't. If I'm rooting for a team, I don't want Brock Holt to be my all star. <laughs> no, I. I mean, I, I love watching Brock Holt. He's like, I mean, it's almost like I, in, in football. I love watching running quarterbacks, but I don't want my team to have one. Yeah, I, you know, I get I, that. I get <laughs> um, yeah, because it's so volatile. You, you just it yeah, can go away so but, quickly. I mean, Brock Holt should be the the super sub. He shouldn't be, you know. And it's just that's and, and you know, if all things were the way they're supposed to be, he probably would be the super sub on this team. But mm-hmm. once again, weird things have happened. But the uh, the thing with Rosny is, ah, it's hard to say, right? You know, Red Sox won a couple of games, and, you know, people in Boston think they're going to win the World Series again. Oh, well. Oh, boy. But, you know, all it takes another four-game losing streak, and they're back to where they were previous to the break. And just like last year, Castillo can come up and have, you know, can establish himself in a couple of months. I don't think Victorino is going to – he's already not platooning. Uh, Victorino's already fallen into a platoon. So I don't think he's going to be the the roadblock anymore. And uh, I'm not giving up on him. The talent's there. Like I mentioned, though, he is a little bit older, though. So That's one of the reasons I liked him, though. The fact yeah, that he was 27, yeah, I figure – you know, a little bit more established from your from your talent profile standpoint. So I was still hoping for something there with Castillo, but uh, you know, for, for the rest of this year, I just I I don't know. Obviously, he get in and get hot. We'll see what's up. The Red Sox just in general kind of irk me. I, I I don't know what to make of them, despite liking a lot of their players. I'm big on Betts, Bogarts. You know, I mean, who isn't big on those two though? But uh, you know, but the pitching, oh my goodness, outside of Eduardo Rodriguez, who I briefly mentioned earlier, it's it, with especially with Buckholtz going on the disabled list. Granted, I'm not a huge Buckholtz fan, but Colette carries that torch for this uh, for this <laughs> podcast. Uh, Todd, I want to transition and talk a little bit about trading strategies. We've talked a lot about uh, doing different stuff in our own leagues and Fab and this and that. Trading is obviously a big part of July um, for baseball because of the, the major league deadlines happening, but also a lot of league deadlines are at least coming up. If they don't, I, I don't like when a league has one the exact same day as the uh, MLB one. I, I like it to be a, at least a couple weeks later. If you're going to have one, I'm not even sure that you necessarily need to have one. But um, let's talk about some e- some tra- trading strategies. Let's start with categories specifically. So we're talking five by five roto. In your estimation, uh, you know, I know it all depends on how the standings are stratified, but but if you were just going to say, generally speaking, these are the easiest, what are the easiest categories to target for big movement, especially when you're limited to just two and a half months left? Uh, big movement, I think big movement has to be something like steals because it's such a singular category, and one player can have such an impact on the category. Um, Pitching-wise... Now I don't. You can't get big. I mean, my whole one of my platforms is you can still move in the ratios. I don't think you can get big movement again I, because it's such a singular category. If you have two closers and you get a third or, or one and you get a second, I think that's where you get the bigger movement because they're such singular categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, but like you mentioned, it, it's it's you know it's it's great to talk about and we can we can back it up. But at the end of the day, it's where you are in the categories and. And the, you know, doing the plus minus, you know, trading from one to get in another, and uh, being able to build up that surplus so that you can afford to give up something. And it's not always people think 
people think, you know, trade from strength to improve weakness, so I'm doing really good in home runs, so I can deal some power to get some saves or speed or, or batting average or whatever. It's not even power to weakness. It's categories you can gain the most to categories you can lose the most. You exactly. may be ninth or tenth out of 12 in homers, but that top spot's within – you can gain two or three more points, whereas you can be, you know, second to last in homers and just have nowhere to go. Uh, there's just the guys so far in front of you. So it's not – strength to weakness it's where you can gain the most to where you can from where you can lose the least that's a great point i mean i I think people sometimes don't realize that oh i'm first in homers i'm fine no you're not there the 10 homers away is in fifth place and if you trade your big slugger you could be in some serious trouble now i also put hardest categories to target as one of our our topic points here because i figured you would go to the ratios but I want to hear you illuminate how you can actually make some movement because I think they are regarded as the toughest. Oh, I, batting average is too late to move in that. Uh, WHIP, ERA, it's too late to move in those. OBP, if you if you play in one of those, I think sometimes people give up that because it's first off, it's not as easy to kind of eyeball. You know, if you if, uh, Todd, if you got 200 homers and I got one 194, I'm six homers behind you. I, I kind of understand how that works, but if you got a 338 OBP. And I have a 340, then you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I that's not as easy for me to go. Well, I got to gain two points in OBP. How do you plan that attack? So, talk to me about gaining in the rate categories, particularly late in the season when that denominator is getting huge. Okay, first of all, just to bring back to the point, you said that I'm six homers ahead of you. Right now, in this part of the season, I'm ten homers ahead of you because you need a pro rate. Because right now, I'm six ahead of you little past the halfway point, mm-hmm. if everything stays the same, it's a great I, point. Continue, I continue to gain that lead. See, so folks, that's one of the biggest mistakes people on. make. Yeah, well, you know, I've said it, said it before, but it gets said in the vacuum. No, jokes aside, uh, yeah, you have to – I mean, granted, everything's not going to be the same. Sure. But, but we're about halfway through. But you have to assume that if you have a, you know need to make up five homers, it's going to be more than five. Although you, you look to see, you know, maybe the guy lost Stanton or – or made a trade and picked up somebody. But the point being, you have to prorate the gap, then see what else has happened along the same time. But as far as ratios go and, and batting average, the the key to it, well, there's two keys. The first being the top-to-bottom distribution. If you normalize the categories and forget that the ratios and just look top-to-bottom, batting average, ERA, and WHIP are, are more condensely they're, – they're more dense. They're, mm-hmm. con- they're bunched together, the top-to-bottom – is bunched together and the second aspect of those ratio categories is unless you owned george brett many many years ago you don't lose counting stats all right you can you can gain a point in ratios you you have a single pitcher going and if the guy ahead of you had a bad night in the era and whip you can gain two points yeah. So there's there's movement in both directions. That people can come back. You, the people you're chasing can can fall behind you with you doing nothing in rates rate stats. That's yeah. another thing that people forget. Yeah. So the the the, the, the sort of the action the, the actionable thing is they're really really bunched together and you don't need to move very much. Now, I'm not saying you know that that it's easy, but if you I just challenge anybody who doesn't believe me, take a look at their standings come September. If you're on one of those scoring sites that actually tracks it every single day, mm-hmm. look to see where the movement is. The movement is in ERA and WHIP, and lesser to a lesser extent, batting average. There's as much movement in those categories. Now, a lot of that has to do with 
like I was just saying, my pitcher goes, yours don't. Your pitchers goes, mine do. But if there was no movement possible, that wouldn't even matter. You know, the ones some of our pitchers are going, the other ones weren't. Um, I just think that it is overlooked. Now it's tough to it's tough to target now. Although pitching has got an entity that that hitting does not have, and that's the the high strikeout middle reliever. Yes, and that's how you can possibly manage your ERA and WHIP a little bit more, especially uh, you know streaming streaming players and, and and depending upon your league and your transactions and the rules, etc. Uh, any to me, any league that has an innings minimum an innings maximum, you need to have relievers in your in your uh, lineup a lot more than people do, and then you stream in starters. You get those totally relievers agree. in there. That keep the innings up, and and then put your starters in as as for good matchups, opposed to just trying to get all your innings with starters. Because a, a league with an innings maximum isn't K. The, the category isn't K. It's K per nine. Exactly. If everybody's going to get the maximum. It's K per nine, and that's where the that's where the relievers are better. Um, and that's where guys like uh, Mark Burley's. I, I won't touch them. Uh, I just can't because it, 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 it's one thing if I can if I can kind of outrun their K totals, but with, with him putting up 200 innings of a four and a half, uh, Burley specifically, you know, he's usually in that four to f- six range max. Uh, I can't I can't do it. So I agree with you there. It also changes changes some of those weak strikeout starters. But like but Jeff, adds- you know, Weaver, Je- Jeff Weaver, Je- you know, we talked about Weaver before. For several years, he was the perfect example of a guy I loved on my roto team, except the one that had the innings limit, because mm-hmm. he killed you in, in, in the K, in the strikeout category. Because he would give you 235 innings of a seven eight ERA, yeah. uh, seven eight yeah. uh, strikeout rate, which uh, it's just not good enough. It, it uses too many of the innings. That's a great point there. Let's talk about some potential players. Um, first off. I think that I agree with you on the on the speed. That that is probably the easiest uh, thing to fix if you're if you're looking for high impact. If your if your standings make make it possible, you can go out and get one burner, and he can move you up. So power sources, I think, are are tougher to acquire and and, and more important there. So I want to talk about maybe some more affordable power sources that you are identifying for the second half. And, and by affordable, I put it in quotes, so it's a little bit vague. But Harper's going to cost you an arm and a leg to go out and get. So you're probably going to lose more in the pitching and speed surplus that you give up to get him than he's going to gain. So I'm trying to talk if we can figure out some affordable power guys that you think are going to bust out a little bit power-wise in the second half that we might be able to go out and trade for. Brandon Moss would be, maybe be an example of that type. Sure. Do you have any other guys out there who you think will, will fit that criteria? Nope. Not, All right. Yeah, I do. No. I'm, uh, um, how about uh, Randall Gritchick of uh, the Cardinals? Okay. Uh, now, he's his – He's fallen, you know, those of us that play DFS, you know, are now really in tune with these things. He's dropped in the batting order lately, uh, so he's not quite as attractive, at least DFS hitting seventh as he is hitting second. Exactly. But for seasonal leagues, I don't think it makes as big of a difference. Uh, he's He can play D. Now, Matt Holiday's coming back, which is a little, be a little curious to see what happens when Holiday comes back. And uh, Tommy Pham has been, you know, had started out well, and... I don't know if he can be able to sustain it, but Grichik's a, a guy. So of course he's going to sustain well, it. Well, we'll see. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm but kidding. Grichik, yeah, Grichik's a guy that I am looking at. Uh, you know, at this point of the season, 
you know, you can reasonably expect eight or ten homers from these sorts of people. So is that enough? I don't know. But a guy like Gritchick can hit 13. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what you're looking for. You know, I mean, projecting eight or nine. Could he could he get in a run and hit 14 and really help you? Yeah, he's the kind of guy that could do that. Um, Justin Bohr, maybe, of uh, of Miami. Good one. I, I love now, Justin Bohr. Now, Morris is back, but there's a lot of other things. They're finding other places to use Morse, and Bohr has been hitting against all righties. I don't know how much he's going to hit against lefties, and that park crushes power more than any park does. Mm-hmm. But you know you're not you know you're not looking for for Bryce Harper. You're looking for guys that could hit. You know, maybe people may expect five or seven more homers out of board. Maybe he gets ten or twelve. So he's a guy that can do it. I don't know. Avisil Garcia in that park nice. could get hot. I don't you know I'm not, again not predicting it. But again here's here's that whole thing about I don't think he will, but he fits the profile of someone that might. Exactly, and that's what we're going for yeah. here because we that's, can't. Yeah, that's... We can't go out and buy the guys who are definitely going to do it with again without damaging the team, unless you're just stocked in pitching and you can go trade an ace for Todd Frazier. Otherwise, it's just going to hurt too much to go out and get somebody like that. So we got to find the guys who are going to get five, six, seven more homers than their projections. So I, I love those two names. So th- those are definitely good ones. By the way, you mentioned Bohr and Miami. They've only got 34 home games left. Uh, I, I got to imagine that's one of the lower totals. They've played 47 home games so far, so right. that that should help. Uh, that should help all of all of their players, to be honest. Uh, maybe not D. Gordon, because uh, maybe hitting in those gaps helps him <laughs> in, in Miami. But but the, their power guys, particularly, so that that brings uh, maybe some other guys into play too. If you were worried about their home park, they're not going to play nearly as many games. Let's shift it over to the pitching side. It's same kind of scenario here. It's easy to go out and you know try to buy. Uh, it's easy to identify Max Scherzer as somebody who's going to ace out for the second half, but he costs an arm and a leg. So we're looking for some guys who have it in their profile to, to pull a Carlos Carrasco from last year, um, you know, and, and be that super hot guy who, who really mm-hmm. carries a team to the stretch and, uh, but won't cost us an ACE level price. So do you have any pitchers like that? Obviously I think Carrasco is probably an obvious example of that again this year because he's got a 407 ERA, but I just don't know that people are going to be able to get him any, all that cheaply because everything else has been on point for right. him except for that ERA. Uh, but guys like that who, you know, their skills are very high, uh, but maybe their profile isn't, or their numbers aren't jumping off the page so that they could go on this big run and, and, and really carry us. Do you have any, uh, any pitcher names there? Uh, your Dunno Ventura could be in that category. Okay, and he just uh, returned actually, from injury, right? Right, and he's got the you know potentially to go back to injury too. Sure. So, <laughs> so he's the kind of guy that that might fit that profile. I just traded Alex Wood in uh, and then I'll tout to Lenny Melnick for Ian Desmond, hoping that each of our dregs it turns fire. it around. Yeah. Yeah, but Al, you know, Alex, he's got the Alex Wood is a guy. Now we may not get the wins, but we're not necessarily chasing wins. But he's a guy that sort of can turn it around. Now, if you'd asked me the question a month ago, we would have said Jeff Samarja and would have looked like a genius. Yeah. But he's uh, yeah, he, he's he's cheating now. He's, he's doing, doing too his well. turnaround. I agree. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's already there. Um, uh, let's see, who else could possibly? I know what Casher doesn't get the strikeouts anymore. I don't. So I don't. He's frustrated me. So I I yeah. still think he could have a run, but. At this point, I can't really project it for the second half. It just looks like kind of a, a, a bit of a busted year for Cashner when I thought he could he could be an ace-level guy this year. That's what I thought. Right. Uh, the, well, the talent's there. 
I think we hear his name, we think strikeouts until we look at what he's actually doing, striking people out, and it's not as good as as we originally thought it might be. You're, you're right. Uh, which, which I think is, is part of the problem there. And that had to go from conversion from the, the flame-throwing reliever back to the starter again. Um, let's see, it just had another name, and it just uh, escaped me, um, a name that we know. And, and, and who was it that was uh, – oh, yeah, Garrett Richards. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, tough to say. I mean, is it injury? You know, it look, at this point, he should be well over the injury. And early in the season, he looked like the old Garrett Richards. He did, but, and, and the stuff is still a crisp at times. Right, and it just and this is around the time of year where, where he started to take off last year before he got hurt, covering first in that that fateful game that everybody had him in DFS, and you can hear the whole whole entire country groan. <laughs> it wasn't when good. he went down. It wasn't good. now, but uh, he's a guy that he, he is. I don't think he has the same sort of allure that Carrasco does, but it, 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 it's there. So I think that uh, he might be a little bit tougher to get a hold of. Um, uh, Jimmy Nelson's borderline. Okay. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're really looking for, I don't know. Um, I think that would be border. I think very, very borderline, but uh, he is, he's got too much that needs to go right, perhaps. To I, uh, I got a borderline guy in that same okay. realm, then maybe like a Nate Carnes, because he's shown kind of some glimpses of it, but but still kind of gets his face caved in every once in a while. Home runs are an issue, which could easily stunt that. That's the thing. Usually, when you're going to have one of those halves of a of a sub three ERA, you got to keep the ball in the yard. So that's why uh, that's probably the biggest piece for Carnes. But I think the skills are there with the with the swing and miss that he's got and, yeah. and some of the great work that he's shown. But it's it's one of those more borderline ones like Nelson, whereas Richards, Carrasco, even somebody like Cashner, I would I would obviously trust more. Heck, you can put anybody in Toronto in a Toronto in a Tampa uniform and it fits that mold. You know, right. Matt Moore could come up and, and do it. Jake well Odorizzi's He's kind of already there. I mean, I don't know if we're going to get. He's sort of. That's true. He pretty, might already pretty be good already. Out, yeah. <laughs> um, other people, you know, Gosman is the. You know, I know you guys like Kevin yeah, Gosman a lot. Gosman. I'm more in the show me show me group right now. That's fair. But, um, um, I'm more in the keep him in the rotation group. Uh, well, if, he's, isn't know. he supposed to? I know he went back down. Isn't he supposed to come up and be in the second he, half though? He is, and and so let's hope that they just yeah keep him in there and let him take some turns here, and, and we'll figure out what's going on with with Kevin Gossman. Because yeah, I do like him, and I would put him in there too. But again, with the with the more gamble guys, that it could totally blow up in your face. Whereas I don't feel like Garrett Richards, even if he doesn't ace out like we're talking, is still going to be capable for you. Let's shift to the other side of of, of pitching there, the saves piece. Everyone likes talking about specking for saves. Um, everyone is talking about it. Nobody likes doing it. Uh, the most volatile situations right now are, are the trade ones, Philly, Milwaukee, and Cincinnati. I think Giles is the obvious fill-in there. But uh, first off, who do you think could fill in for the other two guys? We'll start with Milwaukee. Uh, who, who are your best guesses in Milwaukee and Cincinnati if K-Rod and Chapman are traded? And then we'll talk about Giles' potential value uh, if – Although I should say when Papelbon's traded, because I do think they get that one done at least. But let's talk Milwaukee first. Who, who would replace K Rod in your estimation? I just on it. It's difficult. I, I try. I any any brain cell I didn't kill with alcohol back <laughs> in the day. I try not to spend on thinking about closers. No, because it will that will kill them. It will. <laughs> yeah. it will murder so those I, brain cells. And I, but you know, but yet I got to You know, I do the projections and I do this and I do that and and have to try to figure out. 
do the, I don't know, do they do they give a guy like Jeremy Jeffers a chance and well, see if he can do it? It depends upon how how far they fall, I suppose. True. But I think he has to at least be on the radar, and uh, I think I don't know if that's just it's just not a situation. Uh, Corey Nabel has been in the picture, but who knows with injury at that at this point. Will Smith's and, a uh, lefty, uh, and yeah, uh, he's that yeah, bias. Yeah, right, been exposed a little bit when he does try to be in the role. Yeah, and then you know there's always Broxton, the old the old, but you know that's boring. You know, you yeah, everyone wants some it. some new flashy yeah. guy, and uh, and it might just end up being the old the old stalwart there, Jonathan Broxton. Um, have fun with that, folks. In his six sixty one, <laughs> I will not be speculating. Let's move over to Cincy, which actually might be a worse situation. Um, that bullpen once Chapman's gone, do you think it's Hoover? I think he's probably the odd uh, odds on favorite right now. Would you agree with that, or would you be looking elsewhere? Well, at one point, at one point, the sexy name was Singrani. You I know. know. Let's- but now they're they're just stretching them out again. I I don't understand it. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna jerk they you jerk these guys around back and forth between rotation and pen. It does not work. I mean, to, the two yeah. guys who are like most famous for it recently got DFA'd on the same day. Neftali Feliz and, and Joba Chamberlain. Um, you know, because it just was back and forth, back and forth. I get starting them in the pen and then transitioning them and making them a starter like Carlos Martinez. He shouldn't relieve any more. But once you kind of make a decision, you got to stick with it. So, yeah, Singrani, I, I heard the same thing about stretching him out, putting him back in rotation, probably because they plan to trade at least one of Cueto and Leak. Uh, so they're going to need some arms. Maybe that's that's the only real reason there. But like I said, I, th- I think it's got to be Hoover by process of elimination because everybody else in that rotation is, is kind of garbage. But speaking of garbage, he was pretty bad when he tried it out. What was that, a couple right. years ago or last year? When uh, Last year was a nightmare. One in ten. Uh, not that we care about win-loss records usually, but that when you're one in ten as a reliever, you did some pretty bad stuff during the season. See, I, not that it matters for fantasy, but I don't understand why they want to trade Chapman unless they get back some, an yeah. absolute king's ransom. It, or they're planning on being down for five years before they compete again. Yeah, I mean, so you're you're overpaying for a, for a closer. I mean, check out this guy at the All Star game. People come to see Chapman throw oh, one inning. I, I agree. I, I couldn't it's agree ridiculous. more. And, and it's I not like Trey Cueto, eh, but I don't understand. I mean, it goes against the principles of you know the you can always get a closer at the end, but he's so special. That's and he's thing. only 26. I mean, sometimes there's ugh. a special one. I, I'm, f- I'm in firm agreement on on somebody like Chapman that unless they give me something great, there's I just I don't need to trade him. Uh, let's talk about Ken Giles because, like I said, he's pretty much the heir apparent. Uh, you know, Jason and I speculated on him in labor mixed, did not work. Obviously, I mean, he's been fine. 40 innings of uh, like a 1.8 ERA uh, with 49 strikeouts or something. But there's been no saves, and that was the whole point was that Papelbon would get moved early, and Giles would assume the role for, you know, five and a half months, five months at least. But um, first off, do you think Papelbon won't get traded for any reason? Because I think right now the the assumption is that he will. Uh, and then obviously if you don't think he'll get traded, then you don't have to talk about Giles. But if you do think he'll get traded, how good of a closer do you think Giles can be for the two months or whatever that he has the role? Well, the only thing, I mean, should Papablon get traded? Absolutely. But he should have been traded a year ago. That's you know? true. <laughs> it's just, you know, he, he even it almost reminds me of that fantasy team where, you know, the guy just isn't any good at making trade. You know, you know, 
you look at that lineup, oh, darn, I know I could make a trade with this guy, but he just doesn't make trades. Nope. You know, so it's almost as if that's what it's all about. And and I know they're, you know, I, we're, we're waiting to the exact perfect moment to extract as much as we can for Cole Hamels and Jonathan Papelbon. Just trade him. Um, should have already done it. Giles can be fine. Now, I think he he does have the, the minuscule array. I think he is showing to be a little more hittable, as it were, than, than, than he may show him. We just have to keep in mind how volatile relievers are over such a short sample heck look at craig kimbrell exactly uh, you know people are i did the top 10s you mentioned earlier people you know why isn't kimbrell in your top 10 i mean what's he I done said, to be there well not just that relievers i mean my confidence level on, re, on my reliever top 10 is you know less confident than i'll be able to stay on my diet <laughs> but um you know it's just it's just ridiculous you know take take any throw a name in a hat but um the point being, I, I, you know, I was with you on Giles, and you know, he's a guy that I have on a couple of ultra reserve lists, hoping he becomes the closer. I don't keep closers and keeper leagues that cost me fifteen or sixteen bucks, but I sure keep them that I can keep on my reserve list and cost yes. me a couple bucks the years that they come up. Um, you know, did that with with Cody Allen as an example. I think he profiles similarly to a guy like Cody Allen, and he's and hopefully the same sort of thing will occur. I was gonna say Cody Allen's turned it around. He got off to a little bit of a rocky start, oh, but he's been lights yeah. out uh, now for a good good while. Fourteen strikeouts per nine for Cody Allen, so we like that. All right, we'll we'll wrap up kind of the the save talk here with with one outside of a traded closer, outside of replacing a traded closer. Who do you think pops up? more or less out of nowhere and, and becomes a, uh, a a save asset for us down the line. I'll start. I'll go ahead and I'll pick Bruce Rondon for my for my own Detroit Tigers there. Maybe more because uh, Soria uh, might get hurt. I think that's more of an easy bet to say that that could happen. But uh, I just, I'm, it's a speculation. You, you, you talked earlier about the volatility of relievers here. I'm not going to lay out 20 different points because we're dice rolling here when we're talking about relievers. So I'm just going to say Rondon, he's got the skills. Um, uh, he's young. He hasn't put it all together yet, but I'll say he puts it together and Soria goes down for a small injury. Rondon fills in and hangs on to it. That That's, uh, it, like I said, it's so hard to come up with concrete reasons for bullpen usage. So you got to be a little bit speculative. So I'll take Rondon. Do you have one who you think could emerge and take over the job from somebody who currently has a relatively firm grip? on it well if you think that sean tollison's grip is firm i think keon Aquila is an example of someone that's, that yeah that's fair i don't I, i'm not even think that tollison doesn't even have to fail it just texas just has to say tollison's not the future let's see what we got in Aquila and and give him the job for a couple of months yeah because there's or a five-year texas, difference between yeah, those two in age yeah, and they, and not to mention you know tollison's nice but this isn't this he's he's not the closer you want when the, although if, who knows when the injury troubles for texas will ever abate but right Jeez. if they ever do uh he's not the guy i don't think you want down the you know he's doing a very nice job and anybody who's got him is very happy that they have him but keela would be the guy with the the the, the no provision the no injury provision uh, no trade provision to the question i'm not even i apologize if i'm not pronouncing his first name correctly but keona keela keona, be my, i uh, believe that was right I, we went to a rangers game recently my girlfriend and i and uh he came in the game and that's what i heard over the pa so i uh, we'll, we'll count that rondon and keela right. are your two that you can spec 
it's got to be super deep though because we're we're just we're kind of guessing on the on those two there. Um, I want to talk about a specific guy, kind of a random guy, but that's because I saw a tweet from you and it was really funny. You listed a few things that have made you cranky, and and the last one was Taylor Youngman, and I, I got a lot of questions about him in my chat today. You know, asking, comparing him with other guys, what what I think. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Three things that made you really cranky: MLB teams not announcing their rotations, day four of your workouts, and you haven't lost 150 pounds yet. And Taylor Youngman, tell us why Youngman is making you cranky. And uh, I assume within that crankiness, you'll kind of get to his outlook for the rest of the season as as you see it. Well, it was well, it was an inside joke to people that have been following my. My work on ESPN Insider and the Daily Notes where I've been, you know, recommending that the hitters going against Taylor Youngman were going to have a good night that particular night. It's been and ridiculous. I, uh, I, I finally tapped out during his complete game victory where where every single – if it was a movie and I think they had a – you know, and the ball didn't have to – the fielder didn't have to make a great play <laughs> in order to catch the ball. I mean, it almost looked like it was filmed to me, that, that particular game. But anyway, the point being – now, Jungman's interesting, Jungman, as you know, he, he did have a pretty decent prospect pedigree. Mm-hmm. So you've got to sort of keep, you know, that asterisk going on there. But, and I know that where he was pitching in the minors, you know, numbers get inflated. Colorado Springs. However, they were, yeah, Colorado, but, but they, they were, were really bad. inflated. Yeah. <laughs> they were really inflated. And as we mentioned or alluded to earlier, pitchers have come up this year and just dominated. So there is something to that. But the point, it just, you know, I, the thing, you know, I kept, you know, I did it to Nick Martinez too earlier, and although he's coming back up again, you know, he did get sent down to the minors. Uh, so eventually, regression is going to set in. So it was it was, it was a tongue in cheek joke, as much as it was anything. But yeah, it, it was frustrating in that you know, in, especially in DFS, to think that the hitters against him, and it's gotten to a point where, at least in DFS, I'd rather stack against a pitcher I know stinks. Than against one I think might stink. Yeah, that that's that's a good point. And it, it, it sounds silly, you know. That's what DFS is you know about now. Now I'm not necessarily no. That the other yeah, flip side is use Youngman in a tournament to try to win it. And it's I like DFS. I like the challenge of it. But the fact that that's a viable strategy bothers me a bit. I, <laughs> but I that's neither here nor there. For totally a different, understand that's a totally that. Different podcast. Nope. However, um, because he does have that pedigree and he throws strikes. When regression does set in, and he throws ground balls too, it's not going to be killer regression. Kind of like with Martinez, Nick Martinez, it, you know, the regression monster got him, but it didn't, you know, kill him like it did Aaron Harang and, and some other guys that are fly ball pitchers and Colby Lewis that once they get caught up to, you know, forget about it. So I think he's a viable arm the rest of the season. Just beware that not all of those ground balls are going to be fielded, and not all those line drives to the outfield. Carlos Gomez is going to run and catch on the backhand. Uh, there's going to be some hits that eventually fall in against Youngman, but I do think he's a, you know, he can help you going forward. And I'm not as worried about the park because he is a ground ball pitcher. Um, doesn't get the huge strikeout numbers, but um, I tapped out. I'm not going to stack against him the next time he's on the mound. But I'm not going to trade for him to save my team either. 
Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I have some, uh, you know, familiarity with Taylor Youngman. He went to the University of Texas, watched him a decent bit. I was I was pretty hyped on him coming in. I thought I thought he would be good, but then seeing his his pro record, I you know kind of pushed off of that prospect pedigree, and I you know kind of made sure in my head, I was like, don't overrate him just because he went to UT. Uh, don't get too hyped up here. I'm still in wait and see mode with him. Like, like we talked earlier, you, you can't really be in that mode if you want to actually get him on your roster, but that's fine. I, I, I've obviously lost that opportunity already. You don't put a shutout, a three hit or not shutout, but it was one run game, but a three hit complete game against the Dodgers. You, you don't do that and then hang around in leagues, right. at, le- at least the leagues where he's worth picking up. And, and, and those leagues that I'm in, he's already been scooped. So that's fine. Taylor Youngman, I'll just miss out, but I'm still waiting and seeing uh, to decide if I'm really all that interested in him. All right, Tyler, we're going to close talking about some prospects who could impact the second half. We actually already kind of gave one away with, with Jose Peraza here, but uh, just a couple guys uh, that, that I've got here, and I just want to get your thoughts. Both of my guys were in the uh, uh, Futures game. If you brought some guys, that's great. If not, we'll just we'll, we'll deep dive on these two. I want to start with Trey Turner out in Washington. Uh, folks might remember that he's had a little bit of a weird season. He was in the big uh, the big three-team deal between Washington, San Diego, and Tampa Bay as the the Worst kept secret of a player to be named later ever. Everyone knew it was going to be him, but since he was drafted last year, he couldn't officially be traded until just recently. So he spent the first six months with San Diego, which is kind of weird, you know, like how much time do they really dedicate to like coaching him? I mean, he's already a really good player and he ended up having a great time in, in uh, or at least hitting well in San Antonio. I don't know if he had a great time or not, but he, he did really well. Now he's with Washington. Uh, they've already moved him up to AAA. So he's already knocking on the door. You mentioned somebody earlier, Ian Desmond, who's having an abysmal season. Uh, I actually happen to kind of be closer to your train, thinking that he'll, he's got to get better because he's been so bad. But if he doesn't, I think that could open the door for somebody like Trey Turner. What are your thoughts on this exciting uh, shortstop prospect? Well, I think, you know, I, at this point, who, you know, who knows? Um, I forget, I'm trying to think of the player that, that, that came up, and I'm no longer going to say no one will ever come up. I wish I remembered the guy's name. It doesn't look good that I'm forgetting it. But within the past couple of years, there was someone. There's no way he'll be brought up, and ding, he's, he's up. Oh, so that, that, that happens once a week to me, Todd. I'm like, there's no well, way. It was, well, I'll think of it, and I'll, I'll IM you later, and you'll back put this in the thing, and we'll make it sound like it was seamless. Okay. But anyway, point being, um, you know, prospects aren't my number one. Uh, if I'm listing my strengths as an analyst, they're not – you know they're not the top strength, so yeah. I, I learn more from you guys. But from what I, you know, from what I've seen, I like I like Turner. And but what I do agree that is, I'm not ready to give up on Desmond yet. And the team is going to be competing for a playoff spot, whether they trade for short. I think they're more likely to trade for a shortstop than they will be to bring Turner up. Um, so I'm a little bit less, I don't know, high on him making an impact this year, but on the other hand, I'm still trying to tell people right now that, that, that Carlos Cree is not going to be the third best shortstop for the rest of the year. So you, know, you just never know. Um, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because we're going to release our shortstop rankings tomorrow. And uh, there was somebody that had him that high uh, for, for the rest of the year. And it's, it's really interesting. Shortstop's so bad, but at the same time, it's really hard yeah. to envision a rookie, is even as good as Correa has been, 
you know, just holding up over the whole year and not really ha- – because he basically has to go without a slump to, to finish – to be the third best uh, shortstop for the rest of the way. I, 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 Another slump. Take yeah. a look what he's doing right now. That's, that's Another slump. That's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean the, the thing is these guys, they hit walls, even the best of them, so I don't know. With regards to Turner, I'd be more confident if uh, Danny Espinoza uh, and or UNL Escobar were failing, but they've actually been – quite adequate and in fact a couple takes above average uh in the stead of of guys like uh desmond when he when or actually not in instead of desmond but kind of covering the fact that he sucked um but but in the stead of ryan zimmerman was who i was thinking of and anthony rendon those were the two guys that they've been missing uh primarily so if Second base was a bit more of a an open hole. I could see maybe either shifting Desmond there or Turner himself, and that would be a better way to playing time. But like you said at the outset, the second they were like, oh, there's no way player X can get called up and come up and make an impact because there's just no room. That's The second you say that is when something happens and creates the room. It just always seems to happen. But with Rendon also supposed to, supposed to be coming back, uh, there's probably just too much log jam for Turner. But I did want to bring him up because he is somebody who's at least now knocking on the door. Uh, so that there is a, you know, once you're in AAA, you're just a phone call away. Obviously, once you're in AA, you're really just a phone call away these days. Right. But uh, let's talk about Aaron Nola because I think he's Actually, somebody. I remember, the, I remember the player. Who is it? It was, Den- it was Javier Baez. Oh yeah, no. I, I didn't think. Yeah, I didn't think there was any chance. And it turns out that they shouldn't have brought him up. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. Now the only thing with with Turner and we we you hear defense doesn't get scored in fantasy. From what I understand, his glove's ready. Exactly. Which could impact the decision. And I think that you know with Lindor, Lindor as well, uh, the glove is ready. So we may not have a category for defense, but it sure keeps people in the lineup. And I think sometimes we overlook that sort of thing. Especially so that would be positions. if Jason Worth hits and, you know, William Ram- Wilson Ramos hits over the second half, they may just say, you know, let's, let's get the glove up here and help out Strass and help out Zimmerman with the glove. That, that, so there, there is that there is that possibility. And, yeah, you got to be mindful of the defense. Yeah, you might not score defense in your fantasy league, and you shouldn't. Don't count errors or fielding percentage. <laughs> That's silly, at least as far as I'm concerned. Score sheet accounts. But, um, but yeah, it's it's a gateway in and a ticket to stay in the lineup, particularly center field. Uh, middle infield and catcher. Uh, I, I guess third base too. I know that's corner infield, but the, the the three infield positions that aren't first base. Usually, if you're a slick fielding first baseman who can't hit, uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> sh- shout out to James Loney though. Let's talk about Aaron Nola uh, as our as our next prospect. Eno and I have kind of hit hit on him a little bit here. He's out in Philly. Uh, everyone's expecting Cole Hamels to get moved. That would create an obvious opening. Not that. Nola's being blocked by any of the other schmucks behind Hamels, and they couldn't get him in there now. But, uh, you know, seventh overall pick last year out of LSU. I, I know you mentioned prospects are not your top thing, but I, I assume you're closer like me that the closer they get, the you have a little bit more knowledge about them uh, as they're knocking on the door. And Nola has been in AAA now for 30 innings, so he, he's, he's going to get up at some point this year. Do you think he can be an impact arm upon arrival, or is he going to have his normal growing pain? the normal growing pains of a rookie. Yeah, we talked about him on the first pitch forum tour uh, with, with Baseball HQ. So he is a guy that I was able to talk to some people about. And actually, I think one of them was Eno. Uh, but the, the, with, with Nova, at least my take home, my, my notes, et cetera, were I don't want to use the word finesse pitcher, but he's not this dominant, you know, stuff guy. He is a, a touch and feel guy. And 
I think that over the long run will have a great career, but I don't know if he's just going to come up and dominate right away. Mm -hmm. The other hand, I don't think he's going to get blown up right away either. So I think he, 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 he's more of a support guy when he comes up as opposed to someone that, you know, Salazar from a couple years ago that just goes on one of those goofy runs and you end up, you know, winning a category because of him. But if you're just looking, yeah, yeah. But if you're just looking for some support and sometimes that's really all you need, if, if you want to get rid of, uh, of a pitcher that's that 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 maybe maybe one of you know maybe you've got Youngman now and you're free to want to beat the regression. Uh, I think he is a guy that when he does come up and I'm not worried as much about wins and and actually the park itself doesn't scare me as much because it's a home run park but the run factor isn't huge out in Philly. Mm-hmm. So you know I don't know if he, I don't know enough about him yet. Is he a ground ball pitcher, fly ball? I mean, his home run per nine are a little bit all over the place, so it's kind of hard to tell in the minors. Although in in the upper levels, it's it's low, so I'd like to think he keeps the ball down. He's been actually most- more of a fly ball guy um, so far. Thirty nine percent ground ball rate, so uh, more actually kind of even, I think, when you when you factor in the line drive rate. That's right. from minorleaguecentral.com. Um, that they keep ground ball and line drive data there. So I, I actually I. I feel like from what I've read on Nola, though, that he could be somebody who does get the ball down, though, more when he when he gets settled. Because you were, you were talking long term that he can be very good, and I agree. I, I think that he might be more uh, of somebody who keeps the ball down, but we'll see. So far, it's been kind of uh, not not overwhelming one way or the other. Like I said, 39%, but the fly ball rate isn't too dissimilar there. So I don't think he's decided one way or the other that he's a ground ball or fly ball guy for Aaron Nola. Yeah, but I, I do think that he's a fairly safe pickup when he comes up that you, you don't have to – it's not the high-risk, high-reward sort of situation that uh, that some other young pitchers might be. That, that That's completely fair. Uh, all right, Todd. Well, that's going to wrap us up. You gave us a whole ton of your time, and I really appreciate it. Uh, again, folks can reach you on Twitter at Todd Zola. That's T-O-D-Z-O-L-A. Fantasy Alarm, ESPN Insider, uh, Baseball HQ Radio you're on, MastersBall.com. Todd's crushing it out there. And always open to talk DFS, so tweet him with your DFS thoughts because you're coming up with some great stuff there, Todd. Uh, I loved writing, uh, reading your thoughts that you've been writing about on Fantasy Alarm about DFS because you've really been getting into it a lot more this year. So uh, keep up that great work, and we really appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure, Paul. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm a fan of your work and Jason and Eno. I think it's a great site you guys got going on there, and uh, been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Take care, Todd. My pleasure. Thanks. All right.